This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We're in Genesis chapter 11. We're going to begin at verse 27 today and continue through chapter 12 and verse 9. And uh, I'll read those verses as we go. I won't, I'm not going to read all of them because part of it's a genealogy. And there's no need to read that genealogy. You can do that on your own. But I will be referring to it. But uh, George Bernard Shaw made this statement. He was joking when he said it. He was quipping when he said it. But he said that if other planets are inhabited, then they must be using Earth for their insane asylum. And we laugh at that. <clears throat> but the truth is, um, it's a sad truth that the world's in a mess. And we're in a world, and we're in a mess. And the pastor touched on this in his message this morning. And uh, at the uh, conference we went to this week, the, the FBF conference in Indianapolis, uh, we heard that several times. I really believe that what pastor read in Second um, <clears throat> Timothy chapter three this morning I believe that we're seeing the fulfillment of that. I know the last days began at Pentecost and goes until the second coming of Christ in the beginning of the millennium. But the truth is, when you read, when you read that passage there in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the first, about the first, three, uh, first six verses of that chapter and beyond, uh, we're right in the middle of that, folks. And you've heard me say this before. I am convinced of heart that the coming of Christ is very near. I can envision Jesus right now standing in heaven with his hand on the doorknob of heaven ready to open it and come back to receive his bride to himself, the church, us, believers. Well, anyway, <clears throat> we're in a mess. But it all goes back to Genesis. It all goes back to what we've been studying here in the book of Genesis except for the first two chapters of the book of Genesis, the first 11 chapters of Genesis record one failure after another of man. Just one right after another. Failures that are repeated even today. And um, somebody said, I don't remember who said this, but if, uh, if we don't learn anything from history, uh, we're, con we're condemned to repeat history. And uh, we see this over and over and over again. Throughout the history of Israel, even as what we're going to study today with Abraham and Sarah and, and some of the, the time of their lifetime, uh, we saw Israel have revival and then regress. Um, start worshiping false gods and, and so on. And then, and then revival again. And history just kept repeating itself. And it's done that throughout uh, the, <clears throat> the, uh, the earth is probably about some six or 7,000 years old, not billions of years like the idiots, excuse me, the uh, evolutionists uh, want us to believe. Uh, but uh, probably around seven, maybe 8,000 years old. We're not exactly sure. But during the, the history of the, of the world, the history of the earth or the universe, 
We've seen history repeat itself over and over and over and over again because we're condemned to not learn what, we've, what we should be learning from history. It just keeps repeating itself. And uh, as generations come and go, generations forget the past. That's why it upsets me so that, <clears throat> that these radical, the radical left now is trying to destroy the history. They're tearing down our monuments, you know, all, all these sorts of things. And, um, and this current administration is right, right in lockstep with them. Well, anyway, get off that preacher. Go on, okay. Well, the first man and woman disobeyed God. God cast him out of the garden. That's chapter 3. Cain murdered his brother Abel, lied about it, chapter 4. Then humanity became so corrupt that God cleansed the earth with a flood. That takes us through chapters 6 through 8. Then Noah got drunk. He exposed himself to his son Ham in chapter 9. And then there defiance of God, in their defiance of God, man built a city and a tower. And God calls confusion to come upon the earth, and we read about that in chapters 10 and 11. So the first 11 chapters, excluding the first two, which gives us the account of creation, is all about the failure of man, but then also the redemption of God. And, and I thank God for that. So we see disobedience, murder, deception, drunkenness, nudity, rebellion, and these are all up to date today. Uh, if you were God, um, uh, who, what would you do with these sinners that you created in your image? Would you destroy them? Well, he almost did during the flood, didn't he, God? But no, he didn't. He gave him a new beginning. And uh, came Abraham and Sarah and a new beginning. And I thank God for that. And that's what our lesson's about today, the new beginning. And so let's consider the various elements that Abraham and Sarah experienced during their time. First of all, there was a call. Roman number one, there was a call. And in chapter 12, in verse 1, it says this. Now, the Lord had said unto Abram, you know, his name was changed a little bit later to Abraham. Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And so God called him. Well, when did God call Abraham? You know, salvation comes because, because God calls in grace and sinners respond in faith. Each of us in this room today who know Christ as our Savior, God put a call upon our lives. He called us to himself. And if you're saved, it's because you responded to that call and in faith trusted the work of Jesus Christ in your life. And so God called Abraham out of, out of idolatry. And uh, when he was in the Ur of the Chaldees, and um, it was a city that was devoted to Nanar, N-A-N-N-A-R, who was the moon god. And um, Abraham didn't know God when God called him. Just like when God called us to salvation, we didn't know God. We may have had some knowledge of him. We may have had some Sunday school teacher 
teach us about God or heard some preacher speak of God, but the truth was when God called us by His grace to salvation, we didn't know God. We didn't deserve to know Him. But God in His graciousness gave us a call, called us to Himself. And then uh, it was our responsibility to respond in faith. And, uh, and then God reacted to that faith and granted to us eternal life. Well, anyway, um, Abraham was 75 years old when God called him. So it really doesn't make any difference how old we may be. No age. Uh, age doesn't need to be an obstacle of our faith. Uh, I'm looking today with very few exceptions upon some gray heads. And uh, probably the ones that aren't gray probably are gray. Don't kill me for that, okay? <laughs> I knew Winston Lowry was getting old when he started getting some gray hair. Now look at him. Now that black head is, is, is gray now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, uh, that happens to good people, doesn't it? Gray hair. And uh, <clears throat> I could have gone all day without mentioning all of that, but... What? <laughs> anyway, uh, where was I? Anyway, uh, Abraham was faithful to God for 100 years. He died when he was 175 years old. When God called him, he, he obeyed God. Now, we're going to see a little bit later on in our lesson here that, uh, that there was a little pause in Abraham's faith. But who hasn't experienced that in our Christian walk with God? I surely have. There have been times when, when I've uh, taken a couple of steps back. But thanks, thank God uh, when that's happened, I've taken three steps forward. And that's what happened to Abraham. But nevertheless, um, he served God for 100 years. And from his experience, we, we can learn how to walk by faith and live to please the Lord. And that's the object of our lesson today. Abraham was married to Sarah, uh, but it was, uh, she was his half-sister. They had the same father, but they didn't have the same mother. And um, they were childless when God called them, and yet God used them to establish a great nation. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 2, God says, I called Abraham alone and blessed him and increased him. Kind of an interesting statement for a couple who were childless, even at the age of 75, childless. And yet God said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And so, if you, Abraham, if you do what I tell you to do, God, in essence, this is what God's telling him. Abraham, if you do what I tell you to do, if you're obedient and walk by faith, a great nation will come out of you. And I will bless you. And because I bless you, the people that I bless will be a blessing to all nations. In fact, we're included in that promise today. We're going to talk about that covenant here in just a few moments. So God called Abraham after the Gentiles had turned away from the true and the living God. And that, uh, that process of spiritual decline is described for us in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. I hope you're familiar with that passage of Scripture, and you probably are, so I'm not going to take time to get into that today. But anyway, man originally knew the true God. 
when uh, God created Adam and Eve. They knew the true God, but then they rebelled. And uh, so man substituted idols, substituted idols for the true and the living God. And, and idolatry <clears throat> led to immorality and indecency. And it wasn't before, before long that the Gentile world was so corrupt that had, God had to give it up. And when you read that passage in Romans chapter 1, there are three verses there, three times. Verse 24, 26, and 28. God says, I gave them up. I gave them up. So then he called Abraham, who was the first Jew, and made a new beginning. Now, how did God call? Letter B. How did God call? Well, number one, first of all, God appeared to Abraham. It doesn't necessarily say that. We assume that, and we can, we can assume that from what we read here in chapter 12. But in, uh, in, uh, in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 7 and verse 2, which is a sermon that Peter preached, he definitely said, the God of glory appeared under our father Abraham. So God physically, in some way, appeared to Abraham. We don't know how this happened. We don't know how this came about. But that happened to, uh, to Moses as well, remember? Uh, God put Moses in the cleft of the rock, and he saw God. But God shielded his glory from him, from Moses. But anyway, he appeared to him. And, um, uh, it, it, and that was the first of seven Direct communications from God to Abraham that's recorded here in the book of Genesis. And then number two, God spoke to Abraham. And that's specifically stated to us in verses 1 through 3 here of chapter 12. Now the Lord God said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house, into a land that I will show thee. And I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So God spoke to Abraham. When God spoke to Abraham... His word, his word brought about the miracle of faith for Abraham. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, we read in the book of Romans. It was a call to separate himself from corruption, the corruption that was around him. Abraham was in the Ur of the Chaldees. It was a pagan society that he was living in. And God said to Abraham, I want you out of there. I want you to go to another country. It's going to be a new beginning for you. A new nation will be established. And new things will come about. And I'll bless you. And I'll bless those that bless you. And there will be a blessing to all nations. And God made a covenant with Abraham. And, uh, and so he called him out to be separated. You know, true faith is based on the word of God and leads to, uh, to obedience. God would not have used Abraham and Sarah unless they were in the place of his appointment. I want you to turn with me back to the New Testament, to the 2 Corinthians for a moment. I just want to read a passage. And we'll run into this passage a couple times 
in our study here, but 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And this is not an unfamiliar passage to you. You, you. You've heard this before. But let's just read a few verses beginning at verse 14. And here's what, uh, <clears throat> this applies to what happened to Abraham. God's call upon Abraham. God said, Abraham, I want you to get out of that corrupt society. I've got something new for you, something better for you. And here's what it says in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning of verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them, and I will walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I'll be a father unto you. And ye shall, ye shall be my sons and my daughters, said the Lord Almighty. This is basically the covenant that God made with Abraham. He called him out of the Ur of the Chaldees to go to a place that he had promised Abraham and uh, to the Jews, to, his, to Abraham's uh, prodigy, to, his, to his, uh, his family. He said, I'm going to make a nation out of you, a new nation. And then in uh, chapter 7 it says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And so God's call is a call to separation. We don't hear a whole lot. Pastor preaches this. But the truth is we don't hear a lot of preaching and teaching today about separation. When I first went to college, went to BJ, that was driven, that was driven into our minds Separation, separation. There were things going on back in those days, back in the 50s, late 40s and 50s. Um, Pete was there and Cherry. And uh, <clears throat> Dr. Bob Sr. just, and this particular passage in Second Corinthians, they just drove that home to us. Come out from among them and be ye separate. And uh, so important. And that was God's call to Abraham why did God call? There are at least three reasons. That's letter C. And so the first of those reasons is this, to offer them salvation. God called them to save them. Secondly, to bless all nations. Even beyond their personal salvation, it was God's purpose to bless the whole world. And this happens when God sent his son into the world through the Jewish nation. Christ died for the sins of the world. And he wants his church, he wants his people to be a blessing to everybody. And then thirdly, God called him to give Christians an example of how to walk by faith. And so as we study Abraham, Abraham was saved by faith. He lived by faith. And his obedience was an evidence of his faith. And that's the example that God has given us today in Abraham. 
to realize that our, faith, our salvation came by our faith. Not by anything that we've done, but placing our faith in what God has promised us. You see, God promised us eternal life if we would trust him. I've dealt with people during the course of my ministry. In fact, uh, one is, a, is a, a pastor that I dealt with intently, intensely, uh, that, uh, that could not get a grasp on the security of his faith. He, he kept saying, well, Pat, preacher, he says, maybe I didn't say the right thing when I called on God. You know what? It doesn't make any difference what you said when you called on God. All it takes is an act of your faith to trust God in what he told you, not what you told him, in what he promised you, that if you believe on him, he'll save you. That's what salvation is. It's not what we said. It's not what we do. It's the faith that we place in the finished work of Christ when he died on the cross. And Jesus said, it's finished. It's yours. Just receive it by, by faith. And that's it. And, uh, and then when we get saved, our obedience to the Lord is an evidence of the faith that we have in him. And that's so clearly spelled out for us in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. George Morrison made this statement. He said, the, victories, the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. And as you study the life of Abraham and Sarah, you can learn what faith is and how to walk by faith. And you'll discover that when you trust Jesus and, and, um, and uh, no test is impossible in the Lord. And no failure is permanent in the Lord. Number two, Roman number number two. There was a covenant. We've read this covenant. It's in uh, chapter 12, verses two and three, where God says, I will make thee a great nation. I will bless thee. I'll make you a great name. Uh, thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless you, and curseth him that curseth thee. That's the reason why, folks, anti-Semitism is a disgrace. Um, if, we, if we turn our backs on Israel, I know Israel is living in unbelief today, by and large. There's some saved Jews. In fact, uh, Craig Hartman was one of the speakers at the conference we were at uh, last week. Craig's been here several times. Craig Hartman, he's a converted Jew. And um, there, are some, there are some saved Jews. Uh, but by and large, Israel, the Jewish nation, is has turned their back on God. They're religious. At least the orthodox ones. They're religious, but they're, but they're not trusting Christ. They, they haven't, they've rejected Christ as Messiah. So they're living in unbelief. But nevertheless, God's promise to them is still true. And if we turn our back on God's people, the, the, the Jews, Israel... If we turn our back as a nation, God said he'll curse us. I'll tell you, we've got people in high places today that hate the Jews. That's a shame. They're 
thinning, they're, they're skating on thin ice. And, uh, and as a nation, if we turn our backs on Israel as a nation, we're gone. Forget it. We're gone. And uh, so God's made a covenant with them. Uh, true faith isn't based on feelings. It's based on the word of God. And God spoke to Abraham and told him what he would do for him and through him if he would trust him and if he would obey him. Joseph Parker wrote this. He said, great lives are trained by great promises. And that was certainly true of Abraham and Sarah. God's covenant gave them the faith and the strength they needed uh, in, their, in their lifelong pilgrim journeys. We're not saved by making promises to God. Uh, you've heard about foxhole conversions. God, if you get me out of this foxhole, I'll, tr I'll trust you. We're not saved like that. We're saved by God's promises, by trusting in God's promises. And uh, the foxhole conversion ought to be, God, I trust you. I, I trust you, Lord. I receive you. I, I, I accept Christ as my, you know. Not, Lord, if you get me out of here, I'll serve you. Now, there may be some people that have experienced that, that they, they made it through the foxhole. And, uh, but usually those kind of conversions aren't really conversions because they don't last long. Once they get out of the foxhole, they'll make a pretense of serving God for a little time, and then they'll go back to the old life. What is a covenant? The Hebrew word has actually several meanings, and they can, all these meanings can be put together First of all, it means to eat with. And that suggests, suggests fellowship and agreement. Secondly, it means to bind or to fetter together, to unite together, which means commitment. And then thirdly, it means to allot. And that suggests sharing. So when God makes a covenant, he enters into an agreement to commit himself to give what he promises and it's purely an act of his grace. God didn't give Abraham reasons or explanations. He simply gave him a promise. Would you notice throughout these verses, he said, I will show thee. I will make thee. I will bless thee. I will bless them that bless thee. And God promised to show, his, uh, to show him a land, to make him a great nation, and to use that nation to bless the whole world. And God blesses us that we might be a blessing to others so that the world uh, might be blessed. You know, the missionary mandate to the church doesn't begin in Matthew chapter 28 with verses 18 through 20 as we preach so often at missions conferences. It began with God's covenant with Abraham. We are blessed that we might be a blessing to others. That's why God saved us, to be a blessing to others. God saved us that our testimony might be an example, might radiate Christ. That's why God tells us we're predestined to be conformed to the image of his dear son, is that we might be a blessing to others. That's why, we're, that's why you were saved. That's why I was saved, to be a blessing to others. Well, it must have seemed incredible to Abraham and to Sarah that, that God would bless those, bless the whole world through this elderly 
childless couple. They didn't have any children at this point. But that was just what he did. God blessed the whole world because of them. And from that came the nation of Israel. And from Israel came the Bible. And then came the Savior. And God reaffirmed his covenant to Isaac and then to Jacob. And fulfilled it in Jesus Christ. And in the latter years, God amplified uh, the, the various elements of this covenant. And he gave Abraham and Sarah sufficient truth for them to believe and uh, that they could and they set out on faith worshiping God and that brings us to Roman numeral three there was a compromise that's found in Genesis chapter 11 uh, verses 27 through 32 and then uh, chapter 12 and verse 4 I'm not going to read uh, the verses in, in uh, <clears throat> chapter 11 but anyway, <clears throat> uh, notice, uh, notice all, though, the, uh, verse 27 of chapter 11. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah was Abraham's father. And, uh, and so it gives us the generations there <clears throat> of, uh, of Terah, including Abraham. But then go to chapter 12 and look at verse 4. It says, so Abram departed after God, uh, God said in verse 1, he says, get thee up, uh, take your kindred, leave your father's house, go to a land that I'm going to show you. And that took a lot of faith because Abraham had never seen Cana, Canaan, the land of Canaan. And all he had known is uh, Ur of the Chaldees. And in verse 4 it says, so Abraham departed as the Lord has spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. Now that was a problem, eventually. Lot, his brother's son, went with him. <clears throat> and Abram was 75 years old uh, when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls uh, that they had, uh, had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, into the land of Canaan they came. But there was a compromise. And that compromise was letter A, partial, partial obedience. You know partial obedience in a sense is disobedience. If we don't fully <clears throat> obey God and, and uh, go what, where God wants us to go and do what God wants us to, to do, there's some disobedience there. And so Abraham was caught up in that in a sense. The first steps of faith are not always giant steps. And that explains why Abraham didn't fully obey God. Instead of leaving his family as God told him to, told him to do, he took his father Terah with him. And he took his nephew Lot with him when he left the Ur of the Chaldeans. But then he stayed at Haran until his father died. <clears throat> God says, Abraham, I want you to get up and go. Abraham said, okay. But he hung around until his father died. And God says, I want you to go now. You know we do that sometimes, don't we? God puts it in our heart to do something, but in our thinking we say, well, God, I, I, I need to do this before I go. And... Uh, and so there was partial disobedience, but God 
was gracious. And God is long-suffering. Uh, and the many times that we have done that in the course of our faith, in the course of our lives, God's been long-suffering to us. Don't we have a wonderful God that puts up with us? <laughs> he puts up with us. He's patient with us. That's what the word long-suffering means. He's patient with us. And, uh, and he knows I keep reaching my pocket for, the, for that, and there it is. I have a bad cold. Forgive me if I don't shake hands with you today, okay? <clears throat> and so I have to keep washing, wiping my nose. Okay, whenever you bring, whatever you bring with you from the old life into the new life is likely to create problems. When you got saved, you had a lot of baggage. And so did Walt Coles when he got saved. And if we drag that baggage with us into our new Christian life, it's going to create some problems somewhere down the line. Count on it. Well, that's what happened to Abraham. He believed God, <clears throat> but he didn't fully obey God. It was only a partial obedience. He took terror with him. And, uh, and, and, then he took, and then he took Lot with him. And Lot caused some serious problems for Abraham a little bit later on. And we'll probably get to that in our study as, as it unfolds before us. Remember Abraham and Sarah brought a sinful agreement with them out of Ur, the Chaldees. It was lying. And um, you go to chapter 20 and verse 13 and, and also uh, chapter 12, the next chapter. Remember they went down into Egypt. This is in chapter 12, <clears throat> the latter part of chapter 12. They went down into Egypt and Abraham said to Sarah, he says, you know what, you're a beautiful woman. And he says, those people down there might kill me for you. And so he said to Sarah, his half-sister, which was also his wife, he says, why don't you tell them that you're my sister? And they may take you, but they're going to they're, they're going to spare me. That's kind of selfish, wasn't it? Imagine that. Well, that's what he did. He said, "They they may kill me and take you. Just tell them you're my sister." And what he was saying to Sarah says, "It's okay for them to take you, but they'll spare my life." <laughs> Liar. <clears throat> But God intervened. Remember that? God intervened. But it happened again. It happened in chapter 20 when he went down to Gerar and Abimelech. Same thing. He said to Sarah, tell him you're my sister. And God had to intervene again. How many times has God intervened on our behalf? When we've been partial in our obedience to God. Or maybe I should say partial in our disobedience to God. Well, that's what happened. And uh, so anyway, <clears throat> so that brings us to letter B. God said total separation, total separation. The life of faith demands total separation from what is evil and total devotion to what is holy. And as you study the life of Abraham, you'll discover that he was often tempted to compromise. And occasionally he yielded, as we've seen that. Um, 
That God tests us in order to build our faith and to bring us out, bring the best out of us. You know, we kind of despair of testings and temptations and uh, testings at times. God, why are you doing this to me? Well, as Pastor was mentioning in his message this morning, look in the rearview mirror and maybe you'll see why God's doing it. But it may ha- you may have to get down the road a little ways when you look in that mirror because it might take you a little while to be able to discover why God's doing this to you. But if you've got enough faith to trust, to trust the God that created you, and if I have that kind of faith as well, uh, I-, I can trust God to do with me what He wants to do because I know that even the testings that come my way are for my spiritual growth and my spiritual development. I have a hard time handling that sometimes. I'll have to confess that. I have a hard time understanding why God brings things into my life sometimes that that cause me some turmoil or cause me some uh, distress. But you know, God never fails me, never yet has failed me. And when I've been able to look in the rearview mirror and see it all pan out, I say, praise God I had to go through that. I, uh, I could stand here and tell you some instance, but I don't have time to do that, so I'll just skip that part of it. But, <clears throat> but, but, uh, but it's been, it's been, that's been the truth so many times as I've seen God work things out in my life. Well, let's go to uh, Roman numeral number four. There was a commitment. In verses four through nine, we see that commitment. And uh, <clears throat> we've read some of this. Verse 6 says, And Abraham passed through the land of the place of Shechem, or Sychem, under the plain of Morah. And, uh, and the Canaanite was in the land and so forth. And verse 7 it says, The Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, Upon thy seed will I give this land, and I will, I will build an altar unto the Lord. And there buildeth he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And removed from thence unto the mountain uh, on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. That's an interesting statement. I'm going to make some comments about that in just a couple minutes here. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Um, The uh, 17th century Puritan preacher Thomas Fuller wrote this. He said, Mankind was divided into three classes, intenders, endeavorers, and performers. He said, Terah may have been an intender, but he never made it to the land of promise. Lot was an endeavorer up to some point, but he failed miserably because he could not walk by faith. But Abraham was a performer. He trusted God to perform what he promised him. And he committed his life and future to God, obeying what he commanded. And he received all that God had planned for him. It's a wonderful thing to realize that when we're willing to do as God tells us to do and follow his plan, that all he has planned for us will be fulfilled in our life. And so there was the the commitment. And so letter A, faith brings us out. 
It was the faith of Abraham that brought him out of the Ur of the Chaldees. It may have been a son's love for his aged father that made Abraham delay there in Haran. But the day finally came when he and Sarah had to leave and go to the land that God had chosen for them and faith and double-mindedness never go together. You cannot serve two masters. Faith demands total commitment to God. And so it takes real commitment. You may get the impression that commitment is a vanishing virtue in our world today. And it certainly is. Many people don't want to be committed. They don't, they're not committed to their jobs. not committed to their marriage vows. They're not committed to one another. I'm going to do my thing my way is the dominant philosophy today. And uh, this has invaded the church. We see this all over the church today. Many, many believers will not commit themselves to the ministry of one church, but move from church to church when pastors and music programs change. Temporary is the key word. Temporary Sunday school teachers, temporary youth sponsors, temporary choir members, temporary church members, and even some temporary pastors. Vance Havner, the old country preacher, said, It's a day of fading declarations. Church covenants are found in the backs of our hymn books, but they have faded in the lives of most of our members, if they ever meant anything. Declarations of personal, de declarations of personal dedication grow dim and need to be renewed. It's a day of faded declarations. And... Uh, Vance Havner was right. He lived, he's dead now, he's with the Lord. <clears throat> but he was right. And uh, where would we be today without the example of people like Abraham and Sarah? Where would we, we be today without the example of, of godly men and women who have preceded us? You know, I look back on the lives of some of those godly people who've had an impact upon my life, and I wonder, where in the world would I be today? If it had not been for a godly businessman up in Deerfield, New Jersey, I have no clues to where I'd be today. He presented the gospel to me. He was the one that got me to go to, to a Bible college, Bob Jones. I went down there to study radio. I had no, I had no intentions of being a preacher. All my, I didn't get saved until I was a senior in high school. And all through my high school career, I had no intentions of ever even going to college. My desire was to go into the Navy and get into some kind of electronics if I could. And, uh, but in my senior year, I got saved uh, in the beginning of my senior year, and that changed my whole life. And I can look back upon my, my life, uh, those first three years of high school, and, and even and the last year as well. And I can thank God for his direction in my life because even though I had no intentions of going to college, when I, when I went to college, I had, I had satisfied every deficiency I needed to get into college. My language requirements, all that was, I took, every, I took all the right courses throughout high school. And I look back on that and say, God did that. I didn't have anything to do with that. I don't know why I took all those college prep courses through high school. I don't know. Wasn't my, I was a farmer, and I was content to ride a John Deere tractor, you know? 
get out there and, and, uh, and plow, plow dirt. You know, that was, my, that was my way of life. God had different plans. And uh, I, I, just, uh, I just, I don't know where I would be today if it hadn't been for uh, godly influence. And she had a godly influence on me too. She didn't know she wasn't supposed to be dating an unsaved guy. She was, she was saved and I wasn't. She didn't know that. <clears throat> she was saved, but nobody had taught her that you're not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. But it was because of her influence. She gave me my first Bible. Well, it wasn't actually my first Bible, but it was the uh, first Bible since I'd gotten saved. First Bible I actually read. And uh, but where, would I, where would I have been today if it hadn't been for people like that? Where would you be today? If it hadn't been for people that had an influence upon your, a good influence upon your life. Thank God for people like that. So, faith brings us out, but then it also brings us in, let her be. Faith brings us in. And verses 6 through 8 of chapter 12 is all about that. Um, I've already read those verses, <clears throat> so let's just move on, Okay. Uh, God brings us out that he might bring us in. In fact, that's a verse of scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 23 says that about Israel. I brought you out that I might bring you in. And God calls us to separate that he might bring us into his blessing and in, into his promise and into his glory. All right. <clears throat> so, uh, he brings us out. Why? To, to claim our inheritance. Entering Canaan is not a picture of entering heaven. You know that song we sing, uh, wow, I'm over time. You don't have a clock up here, do you? <laughs> Good. I'll at least give you the outline, all right? You have it anyway. I've left most of this in your notes. You can read it. But uh, what was I saying? What? Say it again. What, did, what was I saying? Yeah, I know that. Claim our inheritance. Uh, enter, oh, I know what I'm saying. Um, <clears throat> I'll, never, I'll, I'll never cross Jordan alone. Is that, isn't that the hymn that we sing sometimes? You know, that hymn's all about crossing Jordan, and, it's, and that's supposed to be a picture going into heaven. But you know, crossing Jordan was not a picture of heaven. Going into the promised land, going into Canaan is not a picture of going into heaven. It's a, it's a picture of going into God's will, God's place, and serving Him. It was actually a place of trial and testing and um, struggling. It's a picture of believers struggling to claim their inheritance by faith. And God's appointed those places for us. And then also number two, to separate us from the world. Um, Abraham was characterized by two things, a tent and an altar. And I'll let you read that there. But I do want to point this out. I said I would mention this. Abraham pitched his tent with Bethel on the west side and Ai on the east side. They were traveling, and, 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 and those names mean something. In fact, the word, the name Bethel means the house of God, and Aod means ruin. And so they were traveling from east to west, 
which indicates to us that they were traveling from ruin to the house of God. Isn't that a picture of our life? Traveling from ruin to the rest of God, to the, uh, to the uh, house of God. Letter C, faith brings us on, verse 9. And I'm just going to read this, and you can read the rest of the lesson yourself there. And Abraham journeyed, going on toward the south. And so faith leads us like that. It leads us out, it leads us in, and it leads us on. Thank God for, the, for Abraham. Read that illustration down there about A.A. Uh, H.A. Ironside. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful example we have of faith in Abraham and Sarah. And Lord, we, we relate to them so, so much. God, we failed you so many times in our Christian walk. And we ask your forgiveness for that. But God, we thank you so much for your, uh, your long-suffering to your children, for your encouragement, your aid along the way. And thank you, God, for examples like Abraham and Sarah, who were faithful in all they did. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.